Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't we start with the association? Why don't we start with Steph Curry? Why don't we start with Steph Curry making it official last night? Roll it. Alec Burks guarding it from the start. Wiggins again. Here's Curry for the record. It's good! There it is! Stephen Curry! The all-time three-point king in the NBA! That's TNT. Man, Steph looks awesome. And when I say that he made it official, I'm not talking about him becoming officially the record holder for most threes in NBA history. What I'm saying is I'm talking about this guy making it official that he's the greatest shooter of all time. He's been that for quite some time, but now that he is has actually done it himself, he's now officially ready to say it himself. I never want to call myself the greatest shooter until I got this record, so I'm comfortable saying that now. I am too. In fact, I already was. That is the absolute truth. And don't stop there. Not only is he the greatest shooter of all time, he is one of the greatest players of all time. And that right there is a fact. That's a fact that gets left out of the conversation way too often. That's a fact that because it gets left out, it's pretty embarrassing. Like there's nothing more lame or more tired or more lazy than Mount Rushmoreing something. Man, if there's anything I hate, it's the Mount Rushmore of this or that. But if there's going to be a Mount Rushmore of NBA game changers, Steph Curry is on it because he single-handedly changed the game. He did. He changed the game in ways that other greats have not. And if you don't believe me, check the three that he hit to tie the record. I can't even remember. Curry went to four. So what I'm talking about right there is that's a pull-up off the dribble from like 30 feet. That's a regular, normal shot in the NBA now and in college. Before Steph, though, if somebody took that shot, they'd be benched immediately. The coach wouldn't even wait for a timeout. He would just run out on the floor, drag your ass back to the bench, and leave you there to think about what a stupid and selfish decision it was. Because a shot like that was insane before Steph Curry. That was for chuckers only. That was a shot that a-holes took at a 24-hour fitness run. Or a shot that Ritt would take in his driveway. Not a shot that serious basketball players would take. Because for everyone before Curry, that shot was pretty much a prayer and a black hole. Because you know if a dude had it in him to jack it up from there, you were not going to see the ball ever again if you did throw it to him. He probably wasn't going to make it, at least not consistently, and that ball was not coming back out. I mean, yes, there have been guys who could make that shot. I'm sure, I don't know, the hick from French Lick could knock that in, except he didn't. It wasn't part of his game. It was not a part of the game. My point is, it is now. It is a part of the game now. Steph turned that bomb into a damn mid-range jumper. You don't believe that? Look at the guys who've come after Steph. Damian, Trey, Luca, Moore. Guys with unlimited range. Guys who don't think twice about getting out of their car and pulling up from the parking lot. In other words, bad shots have become good shots. That's all Curry's doing. He paved the way. He changed the game. He changed the way you play the game and the way you think about the game. And he did so in so many different ways. Like, this guy's not just posted up in the corner chucking. He's taking and making them from every angle and in every situation. It used to be you didn't have to worry about somebody shooting until they were right at the three-point line. Now you have to be sweating Steph the moment he crosses half court. And check the record breaker once again as well. Alec Burks guarding it from the start. Wiggins again. Here's Curry for the record. It's good! See, my point about that is he makes that look so easy. Far easier than it really is. I mean, the guy gives the ball up before he crosses half court, which is something else that no point guard would ever do before Steph. Then he goes down into the paint, sets a screen. Again, 
Another thing the point guards didn't do much of back in the day. Then he cuts back out beyond the three-point line, and then he hits a fadeaway over an on-rushing defender. But of course, when it comes to a big moment in NBA history, you don't want to hear it from me, right? What do you care what I think? What you want to hear, you want to hear it from a guy who gave up an amazing job with the Lakers so he could tweet. I'm talking about Irv, right? Irv, thankfully, reached for his phone and did what he always does when he logs back onto Twitter. He goes instant legend with his brand of straight fire social content. And a quote. Now, I should say, this tweet is graphic in nature. It may not be suitable for our younger viewers because it's that hot. Quote, congratulations to Steph Curry for making history and setting the new NBA all-time three-point record tonight. Thank you, Stephen Curry, for revolutionizing the game of basketball forever. It was great to see his parents, Dell and Sonya, there supporting him. End of quote. Damn, Irv! Not again! Steph revolutionized the game on the hardwood, and Irv is revolutionizing social media every time he reaches for his phone. The greatest tweeter of all time, paying tribute to the greatest shooter of all time. The ultimate game-recognizing game. Two goats doing what they do best. Oh, yeehaw. Nice job, Alvin. Here's the thing about Steph. Man, he makes it look so easy. Well, here's the thing about Irv. He makes tweeting look so easy. Listen, all greats make whatever they do look easy. That's why they're all-time greats. Except Steph makes it look deceptively easy. He makes it look so easy that you think, man, I could do that. If I just took the time and I really dedicated myself to shooting, I could do what he does. I mean, look at that guy. There's nothing really that unusual about that guy. I could do that if I spent the amount of time on it that he did. The hell you could. Because nobody else could. Look at the guys he passed along the way. Reggie Miller and Ray Allen. Two of the greatest to ever pick up a basketball. And Curry is going to leave them in the dust. And I thought it was pretty cool to have both of them in the building last night. Like, if you're a student of history or of life, there is nothing better than seeing four icons of the game hanging out on the court after the game. Four icons in the same building. Four icons in the same space. Reggie Miller, Ray Allen, Steph Curry, and Raymond Ritter. Because Double R was absolutely killing the game after the game as he always does. And making it look easy like Curry always does. And you can't do what Steph does. And you sure as hell can't do what Raymond does. And you sure as hell can't do it as easily as they both make it look. That's why they're both the GOATs. Steph and Raymond. And not necessarily in that order. Man, you couldn't even do it from 15 feet. You can't do from 15 feet what Steph does from 30 feet. You couldn't even do it in an empty gym, let alone an NBA game with five other unbelievable athletes fighting you and battling you for every inch of the floor. It was as easy, or if it was, as easy as he makes it look, every other guy in the league would do it. And every other player in the league would know how to stop this guy from doing it. But at 33, he's doing it as well now as he ever has. I mean, I I could talk about this the rest of the show. We're talking about being inch perfect on your cuts, on your footwork, coming off a screen perfectly so you get that extra inch or two of space so you can elevate and get that perfect shot off. Oh, and you're not just out there in a shooting contest. you got to play defense as well, which means you need to run through screens, chase your own man all over the court. I mean, don't be a fool. Don't be a sucker. Don't fall for this notion that because this dude is not 6'8", 230, that you can do what he does because you can't. Yes, his career is a testament to hard work, but even that does not begin to do it justice. It's a slight against this guy and what he's done. He's done all that, but he is freakishly gifted. The incredibly gifted son of an incredibly gifted basketball player, which I will get to in a minute. I will get to his incredibly gifted dad in a minute because a lot of you went the wrong way with that last night. But in terms of Steph's gift, he's taken it to a whole new level. 
as I was talking about with Vincent Goodwill yesterday, just because the record was inevitable for quite some time, it was not always inevitable. Remember. Inevitable. It was not inevitable when he... Inevitable. Inevitable. When he was averaging less than 15 points per game and missing chunks of time with ankle and hip issues. There was a time, not even 10 years ago, when people were saying this guy was a bust. When they were saying that he would never be a guy like he had been at Davidson, that his body was not built for the NBA or the NBA game. He heard all of that, and he went to work. He reshaped his body. He did crazy fine-tuning of his hips and his ankles. He expanded his range. Like, you don't have to love the game. You have to love the work that you put into the game. And he's done all that, and he's not done. He's closing in on 3,000 for his career. At the rate he's going, 4,000 is easy. Five Gurr is not out of reach. This guy could end up leaving a record which equals Ray Allen's career plus J.J. Reddick's career. And there was a time when people thought this guy would not last in the game. And now he's changed the game. And Steph himself would tell you it's a man's game. I know he would say it because he did say it. He said it to me. Hey, Jim Rome, this is Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors. In case you forgot, I wanted to remind you of what the NBA is. A man's game. Man, how awesome is that that he would reach out to me right after a game like that? Thanks, Steph. Man's it is a man's game. game. Hey, listen up. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. More than 50 million men in the U.S. suffer from male pattern baldness. And there are only two FDA-approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both of them. Let's talk about Keeps. Keeps offers a simple stress way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months so you do not have to leave your home. And low cost. Treatment started only 10 bucks per month and Keeps offers generic versions. Discreet packaging, proven results, and Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of the competition. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months in order to see results, so you want to act on this right now. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com slash Rome. Get your first month of treatment for free. That's keeps.com slash Rome and get that first month free. keeps.com slash Rome. What a great night for Steph Curry. Now, what I don't understand, and I said that I would double back to this. It's a great night for Steph Curry. So what I don't get is why was Del Curry... Trending. Did Steph break Ray Allen's record or Dell's record? Why was Dell trending? Was it because Dell is a proud dad? Or was it because Dell is a recently divorced dad and the ghouls on Twitter could not wait to pile on the new divorced dad look? Yes, I'm looking at you, my dude, Darius Butler. My man Darius got everybody all fired up. Darius. Darius tweets a pic of Dell and says, quote, side note, Dell Curry really back outside. Whenever you peep an oil head dressed like the NVM. After Darius did that, man, it was on. It was a feeding frenzy. At linebacker school, quote, Bruh got the tuck to show the Gucci belt. Ha <laughs> At RP3 Natural, quote, he got the shirt tucked, showing off the Gucci belt. Yeah, he really outside. At Johnson C3 or Johnson CP3J96, quote, the tucked in sweater, he looking for some young groupies. L-M-A-O, hashtag, or I should say, end of quote. And then my man, Josiah Johnson, brought the house down with a near-perfect gif. Listen, we all know that the Currys got divorced last August. These things happen. It's a private matter. Personally, I prefer to remember Dell as an NBA sharpshooter and not how you guys want to remember him. Not how you want to remember him. 
as the old dude creeper at the club. The guy was married 30 years. He's not dead. I mean, speaking real, he and I are the same age. So my man's got plenty of life left. This is the next chapter of his life, man. Get off this dude's back. He's trying to find the new Dell, and I am all about that process and that reinvention. Giving this guy hell about his tuck so he could show off his Gucci belt. Come on, man. It's not about that. It's about Steph. It's the holidays, and you deserve a gift, obviously. So how about a gift that keeps on giving you joy and comfort every single day all year long? A gift that looks as good as it feels. A gift that will actually pay for itself in terms of how much more productive you are at work. What am I talking about? Of course I'm talking about the gift of an X-chair. I love mine. It is by far the most comfortable and ergonomic chair that I have ever used. And honestly, it is probably the coolest looking piece of furniture that I own. In fact, it is. Not only is X-Chair the world's greatest office chair, but with its patented LMAX technology, it doubles as a massage chair. And it can either cool or warm your back. Let me ask you this. Can your office chair do that? Doubt it. Now is the perfect time to purchase an X-Chair. Buy early, buy now. And here's X-Chair's holiday gift for you. Save $100 off your X-Chair. Just by purchasing it at xchairrome.com right now. That is the letter X chair R O M E dot com. X chair has a 30 day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairrome.com and save. That's xchairrome.com. Anthony Barr is my guest. Anthony, good to have you back. How are you? Man, Jim, how's it going, man? Good to talk to you again. Good. You too, Anthony, always. So you had a strong performance in Thursday night's win against the Steelers. Going in, the team had lost two in a row. How would you describe the mindset the team had going into that game? Yeah, I mean, uh, it seems like every game from here on out is a must-win for us. You know, we're in a tight race to get into the last couple spots of the playoff uh, picture. And, uh, you know, the, between Washington and um, – uh, I can't think of a couple teams, but in the San Francisco, um, you know, so so every every game is really a must win from here on out. Uh, we understand that, and uh, it's been an up and down season, and a lot of close games for us. And I think hopefully winning a close one at the end there Thursday night maybe propels us for the rest of the season. Anthony Barr joining us. I was going to ask you about that very point. You guys have played so many tight games this year. Watching the end of that game, you guys had that 29-point lead, then you hold on. Watching that final play, you were sitting in the end zone for a few moments after that play was over. I mean, obviously, nothing is easy in that league. Obviously, you're pumped up about the win. But all those close games, man, how much do they take out of you from an emotional standpoint? Yeah, they're tough. They're tough. And uh, it's been even more difficult knowing that, you know, we we could easily be sitting here, you know, with a, with a much better record if we just could you know, close out some of these games. But uh, what's done is done. You know, we've got to kind of learn from our mistakes, and you know, we don't have much time left here to, to correct those. So, um, you know, our, our backs are kind of against the wall, and um, we still have a lot of confidence in our group to go out there and uh, get get this thing done and get in the playoff picture. And you know, once you get your once you get your foot in the door, you know, anything can happen. Anthony Barr is joining us. So is there anything you see in the way things are coming together that leads you to believe that your best football is now in front of you, that things can still click at the right time? Yeah, I mean, I think we've played you know, pretty good ball throughout the season. It's just the critical moments. You know, we seem to not be able to come through. Um, and, and sometimes we have come through. So uh, it's kind of a, it seems like a coin flip almost uh, weekly at the, at the end of the games. And, uh, it'd be nice to not be in those situations. But, uh, you know, not, like you said, nothing's easy in this league. Uh, we just got to go out and, uh, make sure that when we get those opportunities to close teams out, to, to, to do so and not leave it down to a you know a, a field goal or last uh, you know hail mary type situation. Anthony Barr is joining us. You know it's been a challenging year for you in the sense that you've been dealing with injuries. You've not been on the field as much as you would like to. As you said, football has been a major part of your life since you were nine years old. What's it like when all of a sudden you can't play and you can't be out there in that fight with your teammates? Yeah, you know, I've definitely been uh, been having some struggles early on, especially uh, right now. I feel this I've had, uh, I've felt in quite some time. So, looking forward to closing out the season on a strong note. You know, I think when I've been on the field, it's just a matter of getting on the field, staying on the field. Um, I'm, I'm in a good place now. Yeah, I want to ask you one thing about that, Anthony, because that comes after you suffered that torn pectoral muscle in that second game of last year. You missed the rest of the season. 
were there dark moments and was there any point along the way where you said, man, why me? Why me? Yeah, of course. You know, of course you have those thoughts and you have those concerns and, um, you know, the, the, the mental health, um, you know, it's, it's, real, it's a real issue. It's something I battled with last year and uh, early this year. Um, and I, uh, every, no one wants to be on the field more than I do. And, uh, you know, people always chirping you this and that. Um, you know, it's sometimes it just comes down to luck, you know, you're on the wrong side of luck sometimes. And uh, I've done everything I possibly that I can to, to be on the field as much as possible this year. Um, you know, first one in, last one out, um, you know, spending hours in the training room, you know, stuff that's you know not necessarily the fun stuff, but the stuff that you got to do when you're a pro and you, you know, you want to make sure that you're available for your team. So, uh, it hasn't necessarily gone the way I'd like to, but you know, I've always been consistent with my routine and, you know, knowing that if I get on the other side of this thing, that there's there's better things to come. So uh, I remain confident. I remain humble. Um, the process definitely has been an awesome experience, but um, one that's also been uh, I'm, I'm grateful for. And at the end of the day, I realize how blessed I am and how many people would like to be in this position. So I don't take it for granted for a second. And, you know, I, I give my all to my guys when I, when I can. I appreciate that response very much. I think also I agree with you. A lot of it does come down to luck. I mean, you can do all the right things. You can put in all the time. You can be the first guy in, the last one out. You can do everything right, and a lot of it comes down to good fortune. You did mention that there were some things you were dealing with in terms of mental health. I bring this up because Brian Dawkins is going to join me on my podcast later on today, and he's been very upfront about how tough it was, especially early in his career. Things are changing, maybe not quickly enough, but in terms of mental health, do you feel like things are changing? Like if you're struggling with something, is there more of a dialogue? Are people more open about talking about it? Do you feel like we're making progress in that regard? Yeah, I, I'd like to think so. You know, I'm sure I know we still have a long way to go. Um, there's kind of a neg- negative stigma attached to it. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, though. I mean, everybody's going through something and battling something. And, um, you know, I think the day of social media really plays a big part in a lot of athletes' uh, mental health. You know, they, I think when I was younger, especially, you know, I, I took a lot of, um, you know, was reading all the stuff, reading all the headlines, reading all the tweets. And, um, you know, that stuff's no good for you. You know, those, those aren't the people that matter. Those aren't the words that matter. So, um, you know, I think if we can – it's important for myself to kind of separate myself from that, you know, because some of the – Someone always has something to say, and no matter how good you are, how good you do one day, somebody always going to have something negative to say about you. And if we're in a day and age, if you're not the best, you're the worst. And if you're not great, you suck. You know, that's kind of the world we live in today. So uh, I think it's important for young guys, you know, uh, as, as you go through this process, you know, find find the, the stuff that matters, and that's family, that's friends, you know, that's, that's people in the building that, that care about you, and, you know, kind of separate yourself from all the distractions and negative tones. And Because uh, you start reading that stuff enough, you're going to start believing it, and that's, you know, when the, when the you know, tough stuff starts to happen my man preach preach 100 percent what you just said that is all 100 percent true i could not agree more with what you just said anthony barr is my guest last week you were named the team's walter payton nfl man of the year nominee what does that honor mean to you uh, it means the world man it was uh something unexpected and you know, I, I don't you know, do the stuff I do for recognition. It's it's really to help and provide opportunities to families like mine. Um, but definitely an honor, definitely a humbling experience to, you know, share that moment with my, my team and my teammates and my family. And um, one that, you know, just inspires me to continue to keep doing this work. You know, it's cool to know that it doesn't go unrecognized and uh, the impact that we're having on lives and then families' lives and single-parent families uh, more specifically. Uh, it's been really rewarding, and that's something I'm looking forward to, to continue doing you know, far after my football career is over. Absolutely. You and your mother, Lori, started the Raise the Bar Foundation five years ago. For those who do not know, what is the foundation about? What is the inspiration behind it? Uh, it's really about our story. You know, uh, I grew up you know, with a single mother. Um, my mom, she had when she was 19, and um, you know, we moved back to my grandparents' home. Um, you know, way back in 1992, and you know, I was raised by her and my grandparents, and you know, she has five siblings, so my aunts and my cousins were all around, and you know, had a very strong support system, you know. But we understand that that's not the same for every single parent. You know, the single parents out there really doing this thing on their own, and don't have the opportunity that you know my mother and myself had. So we're really trying to provide that opportunity through education, um, you know, trying to grant financial freedom, financial flexibility, and empowering these single parents to kind of take control of their lives again, so they can, uh, you know, be role models for their children and. and feel like you know that they're they're they matter they've they're they're valued and uh that's that's really what we're trying to do good for you anthony barra joining us one more thought mike zimmer has had a hell of a run in minnesota he's had a great great run there but there has been criticism of him late talk that he's on the hot seat what's your reaction anthony when you hear that and as players how do you go about dealing with that and what's the conversation like in the locker room about that 
Yeah, I mean, that's again, that's, that's the outside world talking, right? So we try to, you know, not not dabble with that too much. Um, obviously, that that's the situation that we're in is one that, you know, as a head coach, you're going to be criticized, uh, good or bad, um, fair, unfair. It's just the world, uh, the world that we live in. Um, and I'm a big Zim guy. You know, he was, you know, he's been my coach ever since I've been in the league. Um, you know, big big believer in him. Um, and at the end of the day, the players are the ones on the field, and we got to make plays. You know, it kind of comes down to that. So. Um, you know, coaching plays a plays a role for sure. But you know, as players, I think you know we need to take some responsibility as well and go out there and um, you know, when the moments ask for, you know, go out there and make plays. And, uh, you know, I think that'll quiet some things down. Dude, I'm not in there, but tell me I'm right or I'm wrong. I bet Zim is not reaching for his phone and scrolling through Twitter and Instagram, <laughs> reading all the comments. Am I right? Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine he could see that very well anyway. You know, he got those bad eyes. You know, so. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it too. He's an All-Pro. He's a four-time Pro Bowler. He is the 2021 Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year from Minnesota. He is Anthony Barr. Anthony, I appreciate you. Great to have you back on the show. In fact, always good to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Hey, of course, man. Thanks for having me. Good talking. So you're hanging out with a few friends, putting back a few drinks, a few becomes a few too many, and as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you're thinking of calling for a ride. Nah. You live nearby. You figure, I got this. I can make it home okay. It's not that big of a deal. What are the odds that you'll get pulled over anyway, right? And even so, what's the worst thing that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. This is why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. If you think that's okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead and get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. My beef is with Santa Claus. I thought that I was done with giving and getting no credit, but it's now the grandkids' turn. This fictitious fat fraud is sticking it to me again. What grown man dresses in costume? Well, besides Raider fan. You suck, Raider fan. Santa Claus. Ron in Colorado. All right, off and running. At Buddy's Night Out tweets, My beef is with every driver in South Florida. They're either driving like they're in a police chase or they are 90 with their blinker on. Self-driving cars cannot get here soon enough. At Pervin Liar tweets, Yimmy, my beef is with entitled dads naming their sons after themselves. I like that. I mean, I don't agree with that necessarily, but I like that because it's tight, it's short, it's concise, it's precise. Let's see here. Rome, my beef is having to listen to your voice and show while I'm in my important Zoom classes because my dad is blasting it while he works from home in the next room over. And unfortunately, the show is starting to grow on me. Signed an angry communications major, Clarissa, from Livermore Cal. War Lady Clones. She wrote that, War Lady Clones. War Lady Clones. I feel you, Clarissa. Stay in the fight. The show will grow on you. Dear Romy, my beef is with people who say, let's hop on the phone. Kangaroos hop. Bunny rabbits hop. There are hops in my beer, but we do not hop on the phone. If we did, we would destroy that phone before we had a chance to talk. You can hop on yours all you want, but I'm not hopping on mine. War Eagle River. Mike in Madison. Snagger. My beef is with Eats His Own Yawn Guy. He sits in a meeting, he starts to unleash a mammoth yawn, then realizes the poor timing and immediately chomps that thing right back down. Either suppress it from the beginning or go full Pettit and own it. Matt and ATX, what did Pettit own? Let's see here. Mount Baker James tweets, My beef is with my Christmas tree. And it's unquenchable thirst. 
If I go more than eight hours without giving it a gallon of water, then my living room suddenly looks like the sidewalks of downtown Seattle. Needles everywhere. Dude. That's the best one so far. Happy holidays to Jim and staff. Hey, Chuck, really quickly. Are we getting holiday cards? Are we bumping them in? That's your job, dude. That's your job, dude. You're supposed to acknowledge them or get me to acknowledge them when we bump in because I'm multitasking. Happy holidays to Jim and staff. That's just me passing the buck again to Chalk. Chalk's like looking over at Alvi. Is that my job? It's your job, dude. You know why? You're a loser. All of you are. Loser. Show me your resumes. What have you ever won? Happy holidays to Jim and staff. I've got a beef with M&M's. Sometimes when I reach into a bag of peanut ones, I get a rotten one that looks like a dead acorn. I eat it anyway, but it bugs me. They also put W's on a lot of them. Such idiots. Sarah T. She's got a point. At Teriyaki 240. This guy's good. My beef is with hockey fans who shout, How much time's left? Preceding the PA announcer acknowledging the last minute of the period. Are you watching the game or are you watching the clock so you can perfectly time this lame, cheap pop? That's good, too. I like that. Jim, my beef is with these 50-something men divorcing their wives and going to college bars and grinding on co-eds. Stop putting ideas in my husband's head. Signed, Mrs. Garrett in Utah. War the chicken man. So is that a real thing? Is that Mrs. Garrett, like a real Mrs. Garrett, and she wore the chicken man? I like her. Stop putting ideas in my husband's head, war the chicken man. Rome, my beef is with you. You will invest in any harebrained scheme that promises to lose money. Rock bands, horses, restaurants that are dead before they start. But right in front of you, you have one of the best restaurants ever needing new locations, namely in South Detroit. Bring Javier's here. Make bank, Jeff in Detroit. Hey, listen, my guy. If Javier himself, the legend that is Javier, ever said to me, Jim, would you like to participate in an opening of one of our restaurants? I'd say, my man, where's the pen? Javier keeps that in the family, and I don't blame him. And by the way, I don't, I don't need to invest in Javier's. The fact that I can even get a table in any Javier's is more than the ROI I could ever hope for. You know what? It's funny. I've invested in some of the most speculative things in the world, high-risk things in the world, and some have paid off in a big way, and all of them have cost me huge money in a big way. I get some of it back in some of them, and I've lost everything in some of them. So you got a point there, Jeff. Dave, the rocket guy, tweets, my beef is with the tools at work. They have to make the same tired, see you next year, ha, 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 joke, before they leave for the holidays. <laughs> hey, Jim, my beef is with my ISP tech call center. When you call them after your internet connection goes down, and the first thing they ask is, have you unplugged your modem and plugged it back in? Sure glad I pay an extra 50 bucks a month for that. I might as well just call the XR4TI. BZ in Pensacola. What do you mean by that, BZ? Rich, Rich P tweets, My beef is with those ridiculous Xmas car ads with the couple exchanging gifts. She gives him a Fitbit watch. He gives her a $60,000 truck. He gives her a cute puppy. She summons up a 70K SUV. In what fantasy life does that ever happen? That's good. Jim. I have beef with my family. 
I have it on good authority that nearly everybody else in America gets a new Lexus with a shiny red bow on it for Christmas each year, and I have not even had one December to remember. Step up the game, fam. Step your game up. Family. Vince in Illinois. Hi, Jim. You want to know what my beef is? My beef is with people hosting dinner parties and asking you to bring one or two dishes. Hey, lazy ass, you're supposed to be the host. Be the host. Happy holidays, Bella B in Calgary. Eric Russell's in. My beef is with people who use their turn signal halfway through the turn. Rome, since it's that time of year, my beef is with Ralphie from A Christmas Story. That little butt face spends the whole movie whining about that stupid BB gun. So he finally gets it for Christmas, goes outside, and gets knocked on his ass when he fires it. Who the hell gets knocked down by the kick from a BB gun? Then he steps on his glasses and becomes a whiny little bitch. He starts to fake cry and then lies about how he got hit by an icicle. What a loser. Tom loser. in Virginia. Well done. Tachio Dubs tweets, my beef is with clones who recycle their beefs every Wednesday. There's a reason why Count Chalk and Romer ignore your what's my beef take. Last Wednesday and the Wednesday before, they're garbage. Step garbage. your beefs up, losers. Hey, by the way, that dude's not wrong. Loser. That dude is not wrong. He knows. Let's go to the phones. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Matt in Alaska. Matt in Alaska. Matt, what's your beef? Jimmy, what's going on? I got a real beef with the office potluck this time of year. You know, I already have to sit by Diane and smell her twice an hour as she refreshes her cigarette perfume. And I have to listen to Jim on the other side of me chomp on his snacks all day long. The last thing I want to do is go into the break room on my one hour of free time and eat Diane's Marlboro casserole and try and enjoy this joint office taco bar. So when you ask me, boss, where I was for the office potluck, I'm just going to tell you, I wasn't there and I'm never going to be there. War naming the next Philly that runs Lady Clone because they make it better. Merry Christmas to you, Jimmy. Merry Christmas to the XR4TI, and, well, Merry Christmas to the clones. I'm out. Nice job, Matt. The Marlboro Casserole. <laughs> Strong. Let's go to Texas. Ed in Texas. What's up, Ed? What's your beef? Hey, Jimmy Wisco. Yeah, my beef is when you're home for the holidays and you're watching a movie or streaming with your parents, and all of a sudden two or three people start wrestling. <laughs> i got to go, Wow. Give me the remote, and y'all knock it off. Really? Get some control. I don't need a little brother. Jeez. <laughs> Ed in Texas, dude, you probably should know what movie you're watching, right? You probably don't want to break out the porn when your parents are in the living room. 1-800-636-8686. Bob in L.A. Man, I know this guy's got beef. He's got beef. See, Bob in L.A. is the one good guy who understands what I'm saying, that you don't need to wait for a beef segment to have beef. But he's got beef during the beef segment, too. What's going on, Bob? What's your beef? Well, Jim, how about when you go to the hospital, they put you in the dressing room, and they hand you a smock with three holes in it. And there you are trying to put it on, getting over and everything. And after a half hour, you know that you had to go to medical school to be able to put the damn thing on. When you get it on, it's only on half-assed, and you got that extra hole going. Then you walk out into the waiting room, and there's ten other people half-assed naked with that extra hole hanging out. Come on, hospitals. Put two holes in the damn smock so when we put it on, we'll be able to cover our ass. Okay, Jim, I'm half naked and I am out. My man, Bob in L.A., he did it. Man, he got that plane down. Not only did he get that plane down, he nailed that. He's so right. He's talking about hospital gowns is what he's talking about. I know when I had that double hernia surgery, I've never felt so inadequate in my life. I'm like, how the bleep does this thing work? You know, I'm putting it on backwards. I'm putting it on frontwards. There are holes. I don't know what goes in what hole. He's right, man. And it is awkward when you're walking around half-ass naked 
Let's go to Buffalo. Nice job, Bob. Margo in Buffalo. Margo, what is your beef? Hello. Hello. Jim, my beef is with all the lazy bleeping morons who don't brush the snow off of the roof of their cars. I mean, it's nothing like cruising down the road and having that miserable blur of snow or worse yet, a huge sheet of ice come flying off right in your face. So can I just say, don't just brush it off, brush it off, okay? Okay. All right. Margo in Buffalo. I am from Southern California. I am not aware of snow etiquette on the roadways. Let's go to Tommy in New Orleans. You made it in. Tommy, what's your beef? Romulus, what's up, man? My beef is the same as last year. We still got these... These coops running around jamming fake antlers and fake reeds and fake uh, noses in, in their cars. Look, man, we all know it's Christmas. We're already miserable about Christmas. We don't need to know about it anymore. But they took it to the next level. Now i got coops riding around with actual Christmas lights on their cars, and they're lit as if there's not enough distractions on the road. I'm oh, out. man, you know what I just said? Don't well. Actually, somebody else said my beef is with clones that are resurrecting their beefs week to week to week. And that guy said I'm calling with the same beef that I had last year, but I will allow that. He's right. Hey, listen, I don't want to get on the wrong side of car antler nation, but if you've got antlers on your car, man, you're a loser. Hey, let me ask you this. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for all the good stuff. Well, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without all that hassle you hate and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. Compatible device required. Content does vary by package. Juliana Pena is my guest. Juliana, it's great to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. It is such a pleasure to have you on. Great to talk to you. Can we jump right to the interview in the cage after the fight? You had a Nate Diaz reference with your shout of, I'm not surprised, Mother Bleepers. It was an amazing moment. From the outside, it seemed clear that you were not surprised at all. So what have the last days been like for you as the champ? Oh, man, it's been crazy. I can honestly say that it's uh, pretty surreal. It's a feeling that, you know, um, I, I'm some, at some points I'm like, pinch me. Is this real life? Like, is this real life? Like I wake up every day, like I'm the champ. I'm like, this is so weird. You know, it's really funny because I normally don't like to ask that question. Like, do you ever pinch yourself and say, is it real life? But you actually said it before I could even ask it. And I can understand why it must be so surreal. Can you take us back for those who don't really know the background? How did you first get into the sport and what did you like so much about it? Yeah, so um, I was just not doing anything after high school. I was working a job at a bowling alley, and I was chubby, and I needed to do something to lose some weight. So my sister had invited me to a woman's cardio kickboxing class, and uh, I threw my first punch with Rick Little in Spokane, and he was like, where did you learn how to box? And I said, I, I didn't learn how to box. And he says, well, where'd you, where'd you learn how to punch? And I said, you just, you just taught me. Like, I don't. And he was like, we have a natural here. So I kind of just threw my first punch at 19 years old and haven't looked back since. That, it's incredible. That is absolutely amazing that you threw your first punch at age 19. Juliana Pena is the UFC Bantamweight champ. You know, the journey also is amazing in the sense that Kevin Ioli tells this story that years ago you heard also that Dana White was a at a syndicate MMA in Las Vegas because his sons were in a jiu-jitsu class. The story goes that you got a cab over there, you introduced yourself to Dana, and you said, I'm going to fight for you one day, and I'm going to become a champ you know how some of these stories are they take on a life of their own is that actually how that went down and what do you remember about that day if so 
Um, yeah, so I did. I, I ran into Dana at Syndicate Gym, and I told him, I marched right up to him. I said, I'm going to try out for the Ultimate Fighter. I'm going to be the Ultimate Fighter winner. And uh, I told him that I was going to be a champion one day. All right, so where did that confidence come from? I mean, it had to be more than your first coach saying, wow, you threw a pretty great punch. You're a natural. Where did all that confidence come from? It had to have come from me as a as a kid, as a, as a child, you know. Like, I was the baby of four kids. My brothers and sisters, they beat the crap out of me. And I have a very large family. So I was always getting the tail end of a lot of beatings. And I realized, you know, at a young age that I was tough and that I was resilient and that I could, you know, take a punch, if you will. So... Um, you know, getting, getting, uh, you know, brought up in a house where, you know, there's always a bunch of horseplay going on and just having, uh, you know, really strong parents that I come from, they, you know, instilled that strength in me. I think, you know, um, not on purpose, but just from their parenting style. And I think that that's, you know, kind of how I developed into a fighter. Like it was, they always say, you know, how did you find fighting? And I'm like, fighting found me, you know, it was kind of just an innate thing that, um, I was looking for an outlet and I ended up fighting mixed martial arts. And so it's, it's definitely got to be from the way I was raised as well. That's super. Juliana Pena is joining us. She is the UFC Bantamweight champ. You know, the thing is though, it's not just that you became the champ. You became the champ by beating the greatest female fighter of all time. Now I've had a lot of fighters on this show and they talk about the fact that everything changes when you step into the cage with the champ, but you yourself said that you were cool as a cucumber. I mean, it's one thing to be tough. It's one thing to be motivated. How are you able to stay so calm and slow everything down once you got into the fight? You know, it was something that has happened from a long time ago. When I won at UFC 200 and I saw uh, Amanda Nunes, I wanted to fight her back then. So it was something that has been brewing for a long time for me and just needing me to have an opportunity. I just needed somebody to give me a chance. I just needed somebody to give me a shot. And I knew that once I'd get that shot that I would make the most of it. And so for me, it was definitely about getting that shot and making my way to the fight and getting the fight and the rest would handle itself because I know who I am as a fighter and I know what I can do and what I'm capable of doing. And so this is just a, a great opportunity to, to finally be able to get my shot and fight for the belt. All right. So, I mean, to be the best, you have to beat the best. But when you first saw her, when you first saw her that first time, what did you see that made you think that you could win that fight? Was it just a deep belief in yourself? Did you think you matched up well? What made you feel so good about that opportunity in the event that you ever got it? There's definitely, um, you know, matchups and styles and, and looking at styles and the way people fight, you know. Um, I beat a girl that beat uh, Amanda, and we saw her, you know, in the past when she gets tired, when she fatigues, she'll she'll quit and she'll, um, you know, need need help to get out of there. So I just knew that I needed to put that exact kind of pressure on her in order to get the win. And, you know, that was the game plan the entire time. And that's why I was so confident because I was, you know, more than ready to, to be able to put that pressure on her. Well, Juliana, you know the old saying from Mike Tyson, everybody's got a plan so they get hit in the face. She dropped you in the first round. A lot of contenders going up against the so-called GOAT might have wilted when the champ shows up like that, but you did not. What was that first round like for you? And how did you kind of keep your head after that happened? Uh, the first round for me was great. You know, when I obviously got, I think, like a teep kicks down to the floor and lost my balance. And, you know, most people would be like, oh, no, you're on your back. But mixed martial arts is such a great sport because you have to be versed everywhere. You have to be able to fight off of your back. And if you go back to any of my fights, you can see that fighting off my back and, and fighting on the ground is something that I'm very comfortable with doing. So I absolutely welcomed that encounter on the ground, and I was not at all like, oh, no, I'm in a horrible position. Actually, if you rewatch that first round, you can see that I had her in a straight arm lock. And in that moment, in the first round, I was literally thinking to myself, I'm going to have the first win by uh, arm lock in the UFC history. So uh, that's what I was thinking at first round for me was I was like if we if this is how it's going to be I could do this all night long this is awesome Juliana Pena joining us you know you mentioned that you're comfortable on your back I on the ground on your back I, I know my listeners I don't I don't want to anyway my what I want to say about that is when I used to train a little bit 
I, I started to train on the mat, and the guy, James Lightning Wilkes, who's a very good friend of mine, would train me, and I would not be comfortable. And he would say to me, get comfortable. Get comfortable on the ground. If a fight ever goes to the ground in the street and you're not comfortable on the ground, you will die. And I think that's really important what you just said. You were comfortable when it went to the mat. You didn't panic. And then in the second round, you said, quote, you're on the horse. You don't get bucked off that horse. We could do this all day. I was comfortable. I was ready. I could see the change in her face. What change did you see in her face and in her mood and her attitude and her her body language overall uh i just saw her eyes widen like plates and i noticed that you know i have firepower i got two sledgehammers and both and one in each fist you know so i knew that my punches were hurting her i could see the look on her face and i knew that in that moment that i had to press and keep going you know because she was doing a little dipsy doobie and I was like all right I'm getting her I'm getting her and I could obviously tell from my corners too that they were wanting me to put the pressure on as well so um I I just saw that change in her face and I knew that I, that was time to go that was the time to to finish and to execute Juliana Pena is the champ she's joining us for a few more moments I know that in preparation for that fight you and your coach had worked on a hybrid rear naked choke for a while man how did it feel when you started to execute that move it was great. You know, that's the second time that I finished it. It's how I finished Sarah McMahon in January. And it's something that is not a regular rear naked choke or what would appear to be a reg regular rear naked choke. I know that a lot of people want to discredit me. A lot of people want to say that, you know, I didn't have any hooks in and that that wasn't a real and that, you know, she just tapped because she quit. But I guarantee you, uh, and, and Jim, maybe one day you can take me up on this or any of your listeners, if any of them out there want to come to my house and let me put that choke on them, I guarantee you they're going to tap as well. And I guarantee you they'll be able to feel that force and pressure that I was putting on Amanda. Juliana, a pass, hard pass. I will not be accepting that, that <laughs> proposal. I, I will leave that for somebody else. I'm not the one doubting what you did or how you did it. But by the way, since since you brought that up, how does that make you feel when you hear that, that somebody would try and discredit that win in any way because you didn't have the hooks in fully? You know, it just it, it makes me a little bit upset, to be honest, because they're trying to discredit my work and the, the hard work that I've done. But you know what? Everybody has an opinion. And, you know, if anything, I, I just want to be able to, you know, take a second to all the trolls out there and just say, you know, please be on my side. Let's go through this journey together. I'm the new UFC Bantamweight World Champion. I said it before, and maybe it was annoying in the past because I knew what I needed to do and what I had to do to get the fight, and, and I did that. And so maybe people are, you know, a little off-putted by the fact that, you know, I've been squawking about this thing for the last five years. But now that I finally have it, now that, you know, I did what I said, I was going to do. Let's move forward and and try to go on this journey together as me as the new UFC bantamweight champion. Hey, and, listen, and, my, you know, change uh, those people's minds. I'm really sorry to interrupt because I feel strongly about this. What you just said was, hey, you know what? Let's go on this journey together and change their minds. I like that. I mean, that's positive. That's upbeat. That's optimistic. But a part of me, and far be it for me to tell the world champ how to react, part of me wants to say to you, Juliana, bleep the trolls, man, bleep the trolls. Who the hell cares? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's uh, definitely something that can, you know, get you down. But it's something, like I said, Jim, my career has always been this. My career has always been put in this light as, you know, her not being able to do it and her having to, you know, claw and scratch for every little thing. I've been getting these trolls for many, many years and people saying negative things about me. I've been dealing with that my entire career, you know. So to all those people that have been doubting me and then have been negative, I just want to say, come on, man, just give me a break. Let me have a chance. And now that I have the chance, let me prove it to you that uh, I'm going to be an amazing champion. Yeah. Well, tip the bleeping hat. Let me ask you this. After you beat Amanda on Saturday, Dana White said the loss for Nunez derailed a possible mega million dollar fight between Nunez and undefeated free agent fighter Kayla Harrison. Would you be interested in a fight with Harrison? Would that intrigue you? You know, um, I, I said this in one of my other interviews. I am pretty sure that uh, Kayla Harrison is, you know, the understudy of Amanda Nunes. And Kayla Harrison has been fighting in uh, these B leagues. I'm fighting the UFC. I'm fighting the top competition. If she wants to come in and make weight and fight in my weight class, I'll welcome that. But right now, my main priority and my main focus is going to be rematching Amanda. All right. So when do you think that might happen if that does happen? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to the brass, but, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll definitely figure something out in, later on in the future. Absolutely. Juliana, one last thought. What was it like? I know you had your daughter with you. What was it like to have her in the cage after the fight? And what did it mean to share that moment with her? 
uh, it was incredible. You know, this is the second time that she's been with me and, and it's such an amazing feeling to be able to, you know, show her this and, and, and experience these moments with her and things that she'll remember for the rest of her life. So to me, that's the, the real big win for me is being able to share it with her and, and see how happy she was. You know, she told me, mommy, when I grow up and get older, I want to be a winner just like you. And that right there is what it's all about. That is tremendous. She is the UFC Bantamweight champion. She is 11-4-0. She knocked off Amanda Nunes by submission in the second round on Saturday. Juliana, so awesome to meet you. So awesome to have you on this show. So awesome to see that great win. Congratulations, and I hope you and I can do it again soon. That was a lot of fun. You're awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate the time, and, and you have a wonderful day. Kalani Sataki is their head coach, and he joins us once again. Kalani, it's so good to have you back. How are you? Doing great. How are you doing, Jim? Good, good, Coach. All right, so you got a big week ahead of you. The team has arrived in Shreveport ahead of Saturday's Independence Bowl. So how is the team doing? How has bowl prep been going? Kind of bring me up to date, if you don't mind. Well, bowl prep's been amazing, and, and the people here in Shreveport have been great. Uh, the hospitality is, is amazing, and, and the food. I mean, you know me. I'm not going to complain if there's great food here, but the, uh, the, the prep has been going really well. I thought uh, as a program we've taken – uh, full advantage of the extra practices that were allowed and in, in developing our young guys and, and at the same time trying, trying to stay polished as a team. So looking forward to competing on, on Saturday against a very talented UAB team and uh, really honored to be here at this bowl game. I like what I hear. Now, in terms of bowl prep, you've said that a lot of the way you approach bowl prep and bowl games in general comes from Lavelle Edwards and Kyle Whittingham. What have you learned from the two of them that you've applied to your own process? Well, I think with Lavelle, it was it was a, a good time to to celebrate and 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 just show our gratitude to our all our loved ones. We get to bring our families out here, and and uh, you know a lot of a lot of people have uh, sacrificed time away from the families to support and mentor these young men. And so I think there's a way to celebrate our time with them and, and give them a lot of love. And at the same time, it gives us the opportunity to, to practice and get better. So I I think uh, you know through the years of the mentoring that I've received from Lavelle as a player, and then and as a as a coach, but also from Kyle Whittingham, is that uh, there can do a lot of there can be a lot of improvement, a lot of uh, opportunities to, to get better as a program. And the extra practices allow us the, the time to develop our young guys. Um, you know that probably haven't been on the field much and been on scout team, but it's giving them a little bit more uh, specialized training uh, the, with the extra practices. And then it's a good um, a good starter and a transition for them going into the spring spring football into two, the 2022 season. Kalani Sataki is joining us, and they've got a big game coming up, BYU-UAB on Saturday. Kalani, I want to ask you about another head coach, head basketball coach Mark Pope. I had him on the show. I love this guy. Had him on the show recently, and he was raving, and he was all hyped on the success that the entire athletic department has had through the month of November. He was talking about how every other coach feeds off of you and your energy. What's it mean to you to hear that, and then how do you go about pumping that energy into the entire athletic department? Well, I think I think uh, I probably get a little bit too much credit for that. To be honest with you, we I am honored to coach at BYU with a, with a, uh, such great people around me, including Coach Coach uh, Pope and others that are. Uh, there's a lot of success in our athletic department, and I get to be around all those coaches. And so, uh, the opportunity that we have to collaborate and talk and share information, um, and just try to find ways to be innovative in, in the situation that we're in, being an, an independent school going into the Big Twelve. It's really good to be around, uh, you know, like-minded people as far as what we're trying to accomplish, which is focusing on our student athletes and trying to find a way to get them to be at their best, and uh, find them to just tap into into their potential as, as humans to do great things, um, you know, on and off the field, on and off the court. All that stuff matters, and, and I'm I'm very fortunate to have great people like Mark Pope and other coaches in our athletic department, as, as well as our athletic director Tom Homo that leads the way. It's been a pleasure for me, and I've learned a lot since I've been here the last six years. Kalani Sataki is joining us. You, know, you mentioned the Big 12, and as you get ready to go, and I'm kind of curious, when you're out recruiting and you're talking to recruits about the fact that you have back-to-back double-digit win seasons and you are getting ready to go to the Big 12, what kind of response do you get? Do you notice the recruits are taking even more notice of the program, and what has the reaction been like? Yeah, it's been great. I think uh, the, the brand of BYU has been has been really strong and that's a, a lot uh because of the, the fan base you know but now with us going into the big 12 uh the, the day and age of information being shared so quickly 
uh, uh, the ad, basically the marketing, the advertising for us has been our, been out there for a while now, and the announcement came in September. So recruiting it, it allows us to to get into more homes and to get into more ears and, and allow people to give us a chance to to recruit them. And, and you know, our football program is built on on the culture that we have here. So we need to find guys that that, that fit our program, fit the culture more than uh, there's great football players out there and great talent out there for us. It's, it's being able to rely on that talent that's going to be maximized when they fit the environment that we have in the school and we have in this uh, with this football program. So uh, I think the key is it's being able to have people more open to understanding what we're about and, and looking into more what BYU's at. And, and the Big 12 invite has done a lot for us in, the, in that aspect. You know, I've got a couple of thoughts on that, but it seems to me culture obviously is just so critical. Every single coach I talk to, literally in every sport, talks about culture, and not everybody obviously has the same culture. When you talk about the culture you have, that BYU culture, how would you describe it, and what kind of player are you looking for? Well, we have to define the culture. Otherwise, uh, people define it for you, and our culture is built on, on love and learn. And, and we think those are things that, that – uh, that don't have a ceiling and, and it could always get better. And, um, and it doesn't really mean that you have to win in order that, for that to happen. Now, I, I feel like if people are, are, are connected and want to find ways to, to learn as much as they can, whether we win or lose or whether you have a good or bad day, uh, that's the opportunity that we can really seize the moment, get them in the position where they can have more success. Um, and in order to do that, we have this positive, uh, optimistic view on everything. And then, and then if we're going to ask our players to be positive and learn and find ways to learn and get better, then I, I better be the leader of it, and I better show it by example. And so I, I think, you know, it's not always perfect, but I, I guarantee you we're trying to do our best to learn as much as we can. And, and the best way to learn is to have, this, have such positivity. And, and uh, I think there's, there's things like, uh, uh, you know, embarrassment, guilt, shame. Uh, those things stop learning from happening, and so we're trying to find ways to avoid that at all costs. And uh, you know, it, it's it's going really well for us, and I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm I'm learning. I'm get, I'm trying to get better as well. I love that. I love all of that. Kalani Sataki is joining us. You know, we talk about the move to the conference. In talking to Kyle Whittingham over the years, he would talk about entering the Pac-12 and what that meant for the program. I don't want to speak for Kyle, but it seems like it rejuvenated him. It rejuvenated the program. It rejuvenated everything. You tell me because you were there during those days. What do you remember about that time? Yeah, the, I mean, there's a lot of excitement, the energy. Uh, you've mentioned that it, it, you, can, you can just feel it. Um, I think there's a high level of expectation and uh, from the fan base. And from, from us, it's, it's a very similar feeling that, that I've had when I was at Utah. We went from the Mountain West to the Pac-12, uh, going from an independent to the Big 12. I can tell you our fan base is, that, that, I mean, it's, a, it's the strongest part of our, of our school and, and a part of our, our football program is that we have an amazing fan base and uh, they have a high expectation, and they have a certain standard, and I want to make sure that we do everything we can to meet, to meet their expectation and their standard. And uh, I've said it before, my, my job is to make all the fans happy. I know there's some that will be critical, but if, if we're winning, uh, it's, it's hard to be critical if you're winning and doing, doing well on the football field. But also I think that they can be motivated by the things that we're doing off the field and, and, and the progress that they're seeing from these young men. I think it's important for me to, to show these young men that they're more than just football players and I, I appreciate our fan base getting to know them at a personal level because that, that helps the, the progress for these young men to get better. Well, you are winning. You're 10-2. and two. You're number 13 in the college football playoff rankings. Kalani Sataki joining me for a few more moments. I am curious. Today is early signing day. I know there are a lot of coaches who would love to see early signing day just go away altogether or at least be pushed back. What do you make of the early signing period? Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing for the game? Well, here's, here's my point of view on everything. I don't control uh, what happens as far as technology and rules and laws and all that stuff, but I can adapt. And so if the NCAA says this is the rules, then I'm, I work with it and we make it a positive. So uh, if you have early signing day, then we're going to take advantage of it. I think we're going to sign a, a high number of players uh, today that have already signed. We're waiting on a couple more. But, um, you know, I'm going to always, whatever, whatever comes our way, we're going to make the most of it. You give us NIL, then we'll try to find a way to make it work for our program and in our culture. Uh, so whatever, whatever comes ahead, that, that's, a, that's a point of being uh, innovative is that you have to get with the times. And so I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not riding around in a horse and buggy. So uh, you know, <laughs> if, 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 the, if the technology and if, if society is moving in a, in a rapid rate, then 
I think football and coaches should do the same. I like that. You're not riding around in a horse and buggy. All right, so you got all this that you're dealing with, and then on top of that, you got a big week, right? You got Saturday, you're going to face Bill Clark and UAB in the Independence Bowl. When you look at them on tape, what concerns you the most about them? Tons of athleticism, speed, and toughness. I think Bill Clark is an amazing coach. Uh, he has a, a great reputation, a uh, builder of young men, and then you can see it on the on film. Uh, they play a tough brand of football. We're really looking forward to being uh, on the field and sharing that field with them. And whatever happens with the competition, uh, we've already had a couple of days to spend some time with uh, UAV football players and their staff and coaches and families. And I'm going to tell you, that, that's a great organization, and it's an honor for us to be in this bowl game with them. All right, so finally, like, whatever happens will happen. You'll do the work, you'll do the prep, and then you let the chips fall where they may. But, but a win would mean two straight years with 11 wins, a chance to possibly finish in the top 10, assuming, or if you get that far, if you take advantage of this opportunity and you're able to convert, what would those two marks mean for the program, 11 wins and a top 10 finish? Well, I think we just focus on, on what shows up day by day. You know, I know that uh, everybody wants to talk about the future and talk about predicting things, and, and that, that was happening back before the season even started. And if we listen to everybody tell us that replacing uh, 13 guys that went to the NFL is going to be too hard compared to all these teams that return uh, their, their production, then, then, then uh, that would have been a distraction. So we're trying to avoid all distractions. I hate to give you coaches' talk, but you know me. I'm all about living that hour and living that moment. And right now we're trying to enjoy this day. We're about to start practice. And uh, we're, we're trying to find ways to get better every day and every minute. And so uh, I think what we, we focus on is just getting to the game and trying to be our best. And then performing at our best, we can live with whatever the result will be. And then I, as a coach, I'm supposed to be focused on winning and winning. But I promise you that uh, if we're distracted by just that goal, that we're not going to be ready to be our best by by time we come to this game. You know what, Kalani, the, the truth is I would love for you to give me something that would be so concrete that I can run out there with, and this is what Coach said on Jim Rome's show, but you know what, I get it. I understand it. We do need to be where our feet are. We do need to worry about the process, and if you're focused on the process, you have a much better chance to get the results you want, so I get that. I understand it. I respect it, and I appreciate it. you got a big opportunity coming up on Saturday, UAB against BYU. BYU is 10-2 and right now and number 13 in the college football playoff rankings. Kalani, good luck. Have a great week. Good luck this weekend, and always good to have you on this show. Hey, you're one of my favorites. I appreciate everything you do, Jim. Thank you so much. You too. Appreciate you too, Coach. Great to have you on. Good night now!